Praise God. Amen. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Before we start today, on behalf of my wife and myself, I want to say, I want to say thank you to the congregation at Calvary for praying for us. Our family on June 1st, 2013, listed our house in expectations to sell right away and come to Calvary and start ministry. Well, our house didn't sell. Well, we can now say that our house has been, uh, will sell this week on Tuesday, three years to the day. <laughs> so thank you for praying. Laura and I went and met with a lawyer here. We had to have a lawyer back in, uh, in St. John and a lawyer here to sign papers. And we went and we were telling her the story and halfway through she said, stop it. Stop telling me this. It's a tragedy. We don't want to hear this. I said, it's not a tragedy. The Lord is good. Sometimes he does things in his time, and we have, to, we have to just submit to that. So thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. Jesus was a master storyteller. As we continue in our series over the summer of, of, of Jesus as a storyteller, he would use simple, homespun images. Jesus expressed profound truths in a way that held his audiences captive. His parables, concise, short, short stories were have won high praise even from literally ex literal experts who do not accept their spiritual messages. A shepherd scours the hillside in frantic search for a missing sheep. A woman searches her house looking for a lost coin. A runaway son thumbs his nose at a life of comfort and ends up half-starved in a pig pen. In just a few brief sentences, Jesus Jesus's parables tug at feelings of loss and remorse that lie buried just beneath the surface in all of us. Jesus had the ability to capture the heart of his listener and bring them into the story. The stories Jesus told parables were designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principles, or moral lessons. They were statements of, or comments that convey a meaning of indirectly by the use of comparison. Today, as we dive deep into God's word, we're going to be looking at a parable at the end of Matthew in a series of four. And the big idea, the takeaway idea for us here this morning is this, that Jesus is incredibly clear and incredibly direct in what he expects from the believer. This week, we'll unpack the main point of the parable. Being ready for Christ's coming involves us more than playing it safe and doing little or nothing. It demands the kind of devote service in Christ's kingdom that produces results. Let's pray. Father, we ask you as we draw close to you this morning to open up our hearts to this teaching. We know that when we trust you and when we live for you, God, you, you deposit into our life giftings. You deposit into our life the power of the Holy Spirit and you lead us in your kingdom. So God, I pray that this morning that we would draw close to you as we open up your word. We just love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. So we find this part of the scripture or this parable in something called the Olivet Discourse. This is the final series of parables in the book of Matthew, and these teachings take place on the Mount of Olives, a familiar spot for Jesus and the disciples. If you look at the screen, you're going to see Jerusalem, the city, and then just to, to the right of that, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would often go. We see this often in the parables or in the Gospels. Jesus would go and do his teachings there with his, with his smaller group of people. The section starts in Matthew 24, 36 and then concludes at 25, 46. And in this section, Jesus gives the necessary exhortation that accompanies the preparedness of his disciples. Jesus is going off very soon. He's been with his disciples for three years. He's been teaching them. He's been instructing them. And now he'll be leaving soon. 
actually where this is positioned, it's just before Easter, it's just before Passion Week as he's going to the cross, and he is telling them that he is leaving soon, and they need to put into play what he has taught them. In this section, Jesus gives, he tells four parables and gives variations on the theme, each teaching a particular point about how and why his disciples should be prepared. And this parable today reflects our lives as well as believers. A few points to consider. Who is he talking to? In most of the parables, we see that Jesus is maybe in a field, maybe he's in the marketplace, maybe he's in the temple. He's talking to various groups of people. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to just people who are there listening. He's, at this point, though, we pick it up in Matthew 24. We read these words. As Jesus is sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, and here's the word, privately. So this was a private teaching just for him and his disciples that he was going to instruct them. They asked this question. They said, tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And this highlight, this moves us into these four parables that he begins to tell them about being prepared and ready, because we, they will not know when the Son of Man will come. They will not know, so they have to put into play. Also, please note that the parable takes place right before Easter, right before Passover, right before Jesus begins to go to the cross. So let us read the scripture together today. It's found in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one talent, each according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the, mas after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master re replied to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So was I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then... You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. May you add a blessing to the reading to it this morning. As we, get, as we look at this passage, I want to break it down a little bit, kind of look and highlight some of the key areas. And in this passage, we have four people. We have a master and three servants. Now, I want to call to our attention this morning this important structure of the four people. The man, let's start there. This man had authority. 
The scripture says that he called his servants. He had the ability to tell people things and they had to respond. We see this in verse 14. We also see that he put them in charge of money or charge of many things. He had the ability to change the positional and status of a person. He also said, take the talent from him. He had a direct authority to remove things. And he said, throw that worthless servant outside. He had the ability to move people from one position to another. He, this man also in our parable today was, had assets. The Bible records that he had liquid dis, disposability of at least eight talents. I'm going to talk about a talent in a few minutes, but he had the ability to have in cash eight talents. And this person, this man, this master that is found in the scripture today is also wise. It's very good that we know and understand this. He was wise. He entrusted his property to them. He knew that there was going to be some return on investment as he, as he chose these servants to come. And he chose them in accordance to their ability. It's very important that we know and understand that he recognized the ability in each of them. When we get to the servants, we notice a few things as well from the scripture. We notice that all three were given an equal opportunity to serve. All three were, had, had come into the presence, and all three were given something to do. All three were entrusted with more money than they could ever obtain on their own. It's very good to note that. This man was not micromanaging the servants. They had freedom to be creative based on their own abilities. So these four, a few things that I want to point out between the man and the servants... I also want to highlight, before we jump into the application of what God's word has for us today, is that a talent was a large amount of money. A talent was actually worth about 20 years' salary. So think about whatever your salary is, times it by 20, and that's one talent. This man had eight on hand. My Bible commentary that I was studying through this last week told me that at that point in time, the man who called his servants in would have had enough cash that would equal 1,977,600 $1, or a small walk-in closet in Toronto. <laughs> Back then, it was very, it was a lot of money, and he was giving it out, and he was leaving. It's very, it's very important to note that. A few character traits before we jump into the passage is he knew his servants. It's very important. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he called them. He knew how, what each could handle. That's how intimate he knew his servants. He trusted them with an outrageous amount of money, and he gave them all an undeserving, life-changing opportunity. I want to just pause there for a second. Have you ever been given a life-changing opportunity? If you have, what did you do with that opportunity? Did you waste it away or did you press in? Did it actually change your life or did you let it slip by? Many people regret not making decisions that were, that, that were given in their life that would actually change or project their whole life. Lots of stories are like that. He awarded based on the servant's obedience and not what was produced. That's counterculture to today. Usually if you do really well, you get a promotion. You do really well, you, you show what you can do, it's based on how well you achieve. But the man in this one was awarding based on the servant's obedience, not what was produced. He also showed appreciation and gratitude. He celebrated with them. He's appreciative for their hard work. He changed the positional status of all three servants. And we also note from the passage that he was fair and he was just. This was the master. 
also we find this sentence that's in this passage that most people know of the sentence but don't know where to find it. It is well done, good and faithful servant. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we long to hear those words. We long to come to the end of our life and then stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. So let me just camp there for a second. The identical statement of praise to both servants in verse 21 and 23 indicates that the point of the parable is not about the total amount earned, but in the faithful responsibility in living up to one's potential and giftedness. Let me read that again. The identical statement of praise to both servants, well done, good and faithful servant, verse 21 and 23, indicates that the point of the parable is not about the total amount earned for him, but in the faithful responsibility in living up to one's potential and giftedness. We also learn from this passage that the reward of earning bestowed may differ, but both servants receive the identical joy in the presence of their master. Very important. The last servant was called wicked and lazy, verse 26, because he didn't even try. He didn't try. The last servant did not get to share in the joy of his master, but was led out of his presence. Take notice that the only person in this parable that lost something was the last servant. The master received his original talent, and the servant lost out because of his attitude. So when we think about this, and we think about this parable, and we begin to think, how could we apply this to our, our own lives, we have to think that Jesus is incredibly clear and incredibly direct in what he expects from us as believers. Being ready for Christ's coming involves more than playing it safe or doing little or nothing. It demands the kind of devoted service in Christ's kingdom that produces results. If, we, you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you accepted him into your life, and you're following after him, there are a few things based on this passage that we need to highlight today in our lives. And the first thing that we need to highlight is that Jesus expects fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. There is an expectation for us as believers to not waste the opportunity Christ has given us. God has given each of us gifts and abilities to exercise in the body of Christ. If you look across the congregation today, God has gifted every person in here. He's gifted us in the ability to build up the church, to make a difference in the community, to make a difference in our families based on the truth of what God has outlined in his word and the abilities he's gifted us to do it with. When we think of these ministries, or when we think of these, uh, what we're called to, we, there are three things that when it comes to the believer, that we need to know and understand and have in the forefront of our minds as we get up in every day to serve. The first thing we need to know and outline is that we have been created for ministry. We've been created for ministry. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'm going to just camp out in 8 through 10, says, for by the grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It was a gift of God, not a result of works, so we're not justified by how well we work in the church or in the community or in our jobs, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, here it is, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God before time knew us, created us for ministry to serve him created us in his likeness so that we would use our gifts together in the body of Christ to build it up. 
We have been created for ministry. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to know and understand that we've been saved for ministry, saved for ministry. 2 Timothy 1.9, the apostle Paul is pouring into young Timothy, a young aspiring pastor that is coming up who will do many great things for the church. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.9, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who, here it is, saved us. He saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. There it is again. It's not about works. It's about faith in Christ. But our works, but our faith should produce works. But because of our own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age. We were created for ministry. We were saved for ministry. And the third thing is that we were gifted for ministry gifted for ministry. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen? To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. When it comes to our calling inside the body of Christ, we've been created for ministry, we've been saved for ministry, and we have been gifted for ministry. We fit in this parable. We're in it. Often when we hear the stories, Jesus includes people in the parables, and all of us as, the, as believers and part of the body fit in this parable. But there's a danger a danger in the church of justifying and excusing away our role to serve Christ. Many talk as if God has not gifted them to serve. We hear excuses a lot. A lot of the excuses that come out of the church, one is God hasn't gifted me to do anything. God hasn't gifted me to do anything. Just being biblical, going back to the scripture, we can see in verse 14 that he called his servants and he entrusted them. It's the same for us. God has called us out of darkness and into light. We know that by the teaching that Pastor Rick has been dwelling into our hearts and into our heads, that our new address is in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are to do ministry. We are to do ministry together. And he has a place for us. A second excuse we often see and hear in the church is, I can't do as much as so-and-so. We will look at the person to our left or to the right or someone behind us or someone serving in a ministry or a pastor or someone up on the stage, and we say, We're, we can never do that. We can't be like that person. I even thought about that this morning when Brett was up here playing the piano. I forgot that Brett knew how to play the piano. He's an amazing young guy coming up, learning amazing stuff about about the Lord, and he's going to do. Great, he's doing great work for the Lord, and he'll continue to do great work for the Lord. But this guy's gifted; he can he can play multiple instruments. And we have a, a tendency. I could sit there. I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Or on the other side, just know and understand that we just have different different gifts. That God created him different than He created me. But we're both called to do things. In verse 15, it says that he did this in accordance to their abilities. Each of us are gifted differently for a reason. We don't need everybody to do the same thing. Because if everybody did the same thing, nothing would be getting done. Each one of us has been given a different amount. God will not ask whether we did as much as the person sitting to the left or the right of us, only what we did with what he entrusted to us. God has portioned us giftings. God has portioned us abilities. God has created us, saved us, and gifted us for ministry. And we will have to give an account for that. The third thing that we would, we would notice and see about excuses is God is asking too much of me. 
Verse 24 and verse 26 highlights this. Notice that reaping and gathering are the same in both statements, but that the pastor wants, or but the servant wants to put the blame on his assertion that the master is a hard man when the master correctly places the blame on the fact that the servant was wicked and lazy. A lot of people just give up. They give up. They can see and know that things can be done, but they don't step up to the plate. A lot of busyness. Or you have the excuse, I am serving, but I would have to say, are you serving to your full potential in that area? And this is not a a come against the church moment. Our church is amazing. Our church is doing amazing things. But God still has plans and, and outreaches and ministries that we don't know about. And God has so many people at our church here that he is gifted with ability. Often we hear this one too. Once new Christians begin to read the Bible and see the high expectations of Jesus, like take up your cross daily, it begins to scare them. You mean every day? Like just not on Sunday? Like every single day? Like I, I got to read it too? Mm-hmm. They feel ready to turn away, turn back, or go back to their old lifestyle because it begins to feel too much for them. See, I believe, and this is one of my core beliefs in my heart, that most of us die full of the potential of the kingdom of God. We're full of the potential, but we die full of that potential. The Bible says, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to do something, to equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. So many die full of the potential of for the kingdom of God, and as a pastor, it is my job to equip you to see this potential, to remind you of God's word, and to fight you on excuses sometimes, and challenge you to do the ministry of God together so that we will build up the body. The body needs built up. This is not the church's, man, this is not the church's vision. This is Jesus' vision for the church, and we are just obeying him in it. See, Jesus expects us to bear fruit. In fact, he's promised even to help us. He's promised even to help us. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is the ending of John 15, 16, 17. Read it, memorize it, love on it. And in that passage, in one of those passages in John 15, 16, he says, he has promised to help us to do that if we abide in him. John 15, 16 states that you did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. See, it's been part of Jesus' plan all along. When we trust in him, he gives us something to do. He gives us opportunity to serve in his kingdom, to do things for, for, his, for his namesake and for his glory. So when we look at this passage, and as a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to re- be reminded that Jesus expects fruitfulness. The second thing that we know and understand from this passage is that Jesus expects obedience. We see this in verse 19 through 23. See, servant one, he produces fruit, receiving the joy of the master and his presence, plus was rewarded a position of authority. Servant number two, he produces fruit, receives the joy of the master and his presence, plus was awarded a position of authority. But servant number three produces nothing. He doesn't produce anything. Does not get new position of authority, but is removed from the master's side. He didn't obey. He didn't even try. He didn't even try. 
He wasted the undeserved opportunity to serve the master, and when the master comes, he implies, this is your fault. This is your fault. You're a hard man. You're a hard man. He throws up an excuse. You see, the explicit problem with the wicked servant is his attitude about his master. The attitude. And this is what we see how many people deal with God. This is the way many people deal with him. They have a wrong attitude of God. Like, God is mean and God is unfair. And God let me down last, this last week. This results in an excuse for disobedience. They see God as an unloving or uncaring because of the circumstances, and then they depart from the path of obedience. They jump out too quickly. They see things are not going well for them at that moment. So we've got to pull the, pull the eject button. We've got to get out of this situation. If God really loved me, he would help me. If God really was for me, he would do something in this situation. He would do something in my job. He'd do something in my marriage. He'd do something for my kids. He'd be do something for that group that I'm hanging out with that I just can't get into. I feel like I'm on the outside all the time. Where's God now? This gives us an excuse for disobedience. They see God as, as unloving and uncaring. And they depart from the path of obedience. I'm just going to do me at this moment. But faithfulness is contingent on an accurate view of God. Inaccurate views of God allow us to rationalize our own irresponsibility and our unfaithfulness. Thus, it is vitally important to have a correct biblical perspective of God's character, his activities, and his goals for us. That's why it's so important for us to get into the Word of God and read it. God is not hidden from us. He's not playing hide and seek. He says, come and have an intimate relationship with me. Spend time with me. Get to know me. I want to get to know you. I know you, actually. I created you. But come and spend time with me. Know what I'm about. Know what I'm for. See, the parable reveals that the wickedness of the servant impelled him to pervert the image of the master, which then provided him with an excuse for his personal irresponsibility. I think about this, and as I was studying last week, I I started to notice that the four parables put together, Jesus has been with them for three years, been teaching them. You've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen that. They've seen him uh, heal They've seen him break bread. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen all these things. He's even rebuked them a few times, Peter included. He knew his his disciples. I'll use the word servant, master servant. He knew them. He drew close to them. He gave them an unbelievable opportunity even when the Jewish culture rejected them. If we read where this, this parable is positioned, the placement of it, After this session, if we turn the page, you're going to see another parable, one more after this, about the sheep and the goats, how he separates them. Then we're going to see that Jesus is anointed by perfume, and then he's betrayed by Judas. One of his own. One of his own that was walking with him. That had a... a, a, He didn't have a right view of Jesus. Of his master. Jesus portrays him. But take note of this. John 15.10. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. This is a call for us to stay put in Christ, to put him as our focus, to press in and continue. See, the personal application that we we can take from this, a few of them, and these are good questions to remind ourselves. This is a weekly thing that we should be asking ourselves so that we stay sharp. Are you, go, are you simply going through the motions of Christianity? 
Or are you seeking to obey all that he has asked you? Are you diving in and, and, and looking and seeing what God has, a, has, in for, uh, has in store for you and obeying the commandments that he has and applying them to your life? Or are you just kind of just, like, just showing up? See, in our, in our lives, we plan a lot of things. We plan, we plan, our, we plan our trips. We're, we're going to take a family trip. We plan our investments. Uh, we got 401ks and different things like that. We plan, we plan what school we may go to. If you're a young adult and like you're going to graduate soon, what school you're going to go to. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, we just kind of let it happen. We just let it happen. And we're not... We're reactive instead of proactive when it comes to our spiritual walk. Oh, this happened, so what do I do now? Instead of being proactive, being sharp, being ready, knowing that the world hates us, knowing that the world is going to come against us, being, knowing God's word so that we can counteract what comes our way. Are you seeking? Are you simply going through the motions or, simply, or sim- seeking to obey all these asked you? Another one is, are you just opening your Bible each morning or are you hungrily reading God's word? There's a big difference. There's a big difference beco- between going through a devotion just to be done and v- versus going and searching out his word to apply it to your life. A hunger for God's word. That's a great question to ask yourself. It's a great question to ask everyone. Am I I going after God to learn and to to see his character and see what he has in store for me? Or am I just kind of just going through this this stage at this moment? Kind of just getting through. Are you merely coming to service or are you coming to worship? There's a big difference. I'm I'm guilty of this too. I come in some times. Morning was hectic. My kids are going, going all over the place trying to get everybody in the car, get to the church. Meet a couple people, say hi, how you doing, just kind of smile, and you get down and you're, you're getting ready for service, and you're just there. Versus coming in, expecting God to be there for you. Expecting you, I know we've all had hard weeks. Like in our, past, in our pastoral ministry, every day I did in the office staff, they send us updates and prayer concerns of the congregation. Lots of them coming in of different situations. So we know that our, our congregation, they're having rough days. They're having rough situations happening, and we're, pour, we're pouring in. But at the end of the week, we should be coming in here just to express our love to Jesus, knowing that he's been faithful with us through the whole week. So are you coming to service, or are you just coming for worship? Last point, just to look at for a moment to apply to our lives. Are we choosing to obey or just justify away? Are we choosing to obey what Christ has said in his word and what leaders have, have poured out for us to, to walk under? Or are we just kind of justifying our actions and getting around people who, who have the same, same thought pattern and, and are okay with the things that we're doing? Even though that we, we know deep down in our hearts it, it goes against what God says. See, beloved, we live in a community together as the body of Christ. See, when we come together, we pray, we serve, we equip, we teach, we challenge, we celebrate, we mourn together, we laugh together, we cry together. But when you're on your own, are these things crossing over? Are you living the same way at home, in your school, maybe in your workplace, as you do here? Or or do you sometimes... The disobedience creeps in. We begin to justify actions based on a skewed view of God. If this is taking place in your life, please take this. 
Please just take this warning from this passage today, from what we've been reading. We need to get right with God. Don't wait as we don't know the return of Christ or the time when we will meet the Father. We need to handle our sin or whatever is going on right now, and we need to enter in the joy of the Lord. See, God promised new mercy for us each and every day. It doesn't matter how Sunday is going to go for me. I know Monday, new mercy from God. I know when I wake up, I'm going to claim that new mercy from God. And there are, there are hard days for us. But we need to claim that and claim that joy. And the third thing, the last thing that we see from this passage is that Jesus expects us to be active participants in his plan. Jesus expects us to, be, to get off the bench, to put on the jersey, to get in the game. As, we, as he speaks to the unfaithful servant, we see that the other two did more than just pursue the route of greatest safety, put it in the bank. They got out into the marketplace and they worked. And they worked with the master's resources that were given and they sharpened them and they, and they learned different tactics so that they could double what the master would give them. See, the story records that they did well, doubling the original talent, and most of us would assume that this happened fast. Like, they received it on a Friday, and by Monday, they were done, and they just chilled. But we all know that investment takes time. It's being patient. It's getting up every day and doing, going to the marketplace and putting that time in. It's the same for our walks. We can't expect to, to long and hear that title or hear that, that sentence, well done, good and faithful servant, if we just take the path, path of least resistance. I'll put, I'll put your truth on hold and bring it out when it applies to a circumstance or a situation that I'm going through, then I'll add it in. We'll sprinkle a little Jesus on. We need to be active with the living word. We need to be active with our pursuit of God. We need to be pressing in. As the young adults can attest, my favorite verse in the whole Bible is Jeremiah 29, 13. As a youth pastor, I was taught Jeremiah 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And we often forget about 13. 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is a get active with your pursuit of holiness and find God in everything. That's what that verse is about. See, like I said, God is not playing hide and seek, but he is saying, you, on your side, come on this journey with me. Come find me. Come and see me. Come get to know me. You'll find me. Get active with your pursuit of holiness and ready for God. You need to remember that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He went to the Father so that the Holy Spirit, our guide, our comforter, could come in accordance to 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit equips the believer with gifts to enrich the body of Christ. You are well equipped. You are well resourced and a part of an amazing church, not designed by man, but by God, who is continuing to show love and grace here for the lost, the hurting, and the marginalized, in addition to those who are pressing in to the mandate and vision of the church leadership to present everyone fully mature in Christ. We have no excuses to present to God. We cannot justify them away. We are called to be active participants in his kingdom, not to obtain a status or a positional change or even hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Those things the servants had no clue about. They came after. See, they obeyed the master because they loved him. And he gave them an unbelievable, life-changing opportunity. And we think about the cross. We think about Jesus. We think about the next week as we look into this passage and turn the page. He went to the cross on our behalf. 
He gave us an unbelievable opportunity to live our lives with him and for him. Christ did it for us. We don't serve God for a position or bragging rights or to get things. We serve and we serve well as the church because here it is, he first loved us. He first loved us. Can I get an amen on that one? Like, Jesus loved us so well. We didn't pursue him. He pursued us. He w- it, we're found in the past. He called us in, into his grace, and he equipped us. He created us, saved us, and he equipped us and gave us the gift of ministry because he first loved us. So in closing today, I'm going to wrap it up with this. When it comes to the parable of Jesus... Most of the time, Jesus had to explain to the disciples later on the, message that's, the messages that were inside. But in this parable, this one that we read this morning, the parable of the talents between the master and the servants, Jesus is incredibly clear and incredibly direct in what he, is call, what he expects from us as the believer. Being ready for Christ's coming involves more than playing it safe and doing little or nothing. It demands the kind of devoted service in Christ's kingdom that produces results. We don't know. Your pastoral staff does not know when Jesus is going to return. And we don't know when each of us will be called home. The word of God says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That could happen today. We don't know that interaction time where we will face Jesus. But let's live as we are called to bear fruit. We are called to obey Christ, and we are called to be active participants in his plans. Let us live in expectation of heaven. Let us live well in Christ, helping each other here as the body, showing grace and not wasting the gifts that we're given. Let's be clear about this. We are in this for Christ. We are in his kingdom. So let us be active participants in our community, in our church, in our families, Because what Jesus did on the cross was no easy task. It's so easy to have that roll off our tongue. Jesus died for my sins. But that was hard. We sing about it. When God turned his face away and poured the wrath of our sin on Jesus, that was no easy task. But he did it so that we could have a real relationship with the Father and know Jesus intimately. So a challenge... Before we pray, if you don't know God as your personal Savior, please come and speak with your pastors after the service. Just come on down. If God is working on your heart right now and you want prayer, please come and talk to your pastors after the service. We are called to bear fruit. We are called to obey Christ. And we're called to be active participants in his plan. I'm going I'm to pray, and then we're going to worship our God. Amen? Father, we love you, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can dive in and look and break it down and see the calling. See what you have done for us and see what is waiting for us as, we be, as we're active and as we serve you. God, many of us in this room, all of us in this room, are filled with potential for the kingdom of God. To make your name famous in our households, in our communities, in our church, in our jobs. To bring glory and honor to you. And God, I pray that we would be serving you, that we would be loving you, that we would be jumping off the bench and throwing on the jersey and say, how how can I press in? And even if I'm in a ministry, how can I do that ministry to my full potential? Is there more I need to learn? Is there more I need to do? Is there more I need to give for that ministry? God, we just thank you for this opportunity, this life-changing opportunity to serve you. 
We pray for a harvest out of this in our lives and in our church. For your name's sake and for your glory, I pray. Amen. In closing, beloved, I want to remind you of three promises that are highlighted in the passage for the believer. Number one, the pleasure of hearing Jesus say, well done. Number two, the honor of ruling with Christ. And number three, the invitation of entering into Christ's joy. These are three promises found in the parable for the believer. We all long for the day to see Christ, to be with him, to hear those words, and to share in his joy. And if he gives us a place of honor, we will do our very best to serve faithfully, knowing we did nothing to deserve it. For he has called us, saved us, and equipped us, and our response is obedience. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. We are thankful that you created us, saved us, and gifted us to serve you. We pray as we go today, we would be reminded of that truth, that we are called to get in the game with you. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Have a blessed day.